Being a Christian is not a part-time job, nor is it something that we ought to compartmentalize or silo away from the rest of our lives. We live daily to glorify God. One of the most difficult places to be Christ-like can be the workplace. And that's unfortunate because the workplace is where we will likely spend the majority of our waking hours. We will discuss one idea of how to be a Christian in the workplace on this episode of Where There Is Hope. Welcome to Where There Is Hope. Here we offer inspiration and encouragement from the Bible. With Travis Renfro, I'm John Lindsay. We're glad you're here. John, this episode is based on an article I found uh, from the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. And the article was entitled, Step One to Being a Christian at Work, Just Be Nicer. And, nicer! Yeah, yeah, nicer's in all caps, not because we need to scream it, but because it is uh, an acronym. And the acronym, and I'll just say it now, and I'll probably say it again at the end of the episode so we, we capture it, is No Compromises integrity, compassion in relationships, excellence, and responsible to others. So you have the N-I-C-E-R. So that's the idea. Just some, some basic principles that we can adopt uh, so that we can be good Christians in the workplace. And I think that's something that most of us probably, at very least, need a refresher on. Uh, do you ever face challenges of being Christ-like in the workplace? Yes, um, this is something that's come to light within the past couple of weeks. Not, I say come to light. Something that has, a, something that's occurred to me in the last couple of weeks is um, just how, like you said, how much time we spend there and how we're called to live and what that what that really means. Yeah, and I'm fortunate to work with a lot of people of faith, and so you know, being with those people. Uh, when I'm not wanting to behave in a Christ-like fashion and, and being encouraged by them or at least reminded by them what I am called to be uh, is very helpful. Um, I worry what my behavior would be like if I didn't have some reminders around me, but uh, fortunately I'm blessed that way. So let's dig into it. The first one is the N in the NICER acronym, and that's the idea of no compromises. And when we talk about that, what we really mean specifically is there are things within your faith that you are just simply not going to compromise on. And I like this quote I heard from Wes McAdams, who's a preacher in Texas. Uh, His quote is, the desire to belong can lead us to do wrong. So what are some things that we ought to refuse to compromise uh, well, for one, um, like as it relates to work, um, you know, setting aside time for worship and Bible study and uh, making sure you prioritize those things mm-hmm. over your work. Um, of course, individually, your morals, things like that, your beliefs. Um, Making sure that the career, your, your career that you have doesn't take precedence in your life over everything else, such as the things that God has told us to take care of, such as our family and mm-hmm. um, others. Um, and I don't want to continue stealing. <laughs> no, you're all, you're all good. Uh, no, I agree with that. I agree with all those things you said. And 
you know, obviously one of the first things we ought to do is make sure we're prioritizing our worship and service to God. So, you know, we ought not to be willing to give up Sundays, Wednesdays, those times, you know, or whenever your church family meets. Now, you ought to be able to say those things are my priority and I'm not going to compromise on those. Um, and I will say that, you know, there are times when things come up, you know, and, and depending on what your level of responsibility is in your workplace, sometimes those things can't be avoided and you may have to miss a service or something. That's not what we mean. I think what we mean is are you consistently or frequently surrendering your time that should be preserved for worship and service to God and instead giving it to your workplace? Um, you hit on something there that I thought was very important, and that is not sacrificing your family because you've chosen your career first. And, you know, I think when you get a little bit older, I'm a little bit older, I've been in my job for 20-something years now, I don't feel that pressure anymore, um, but uh, younger people um, and frequent listeners to the show know that you're younger than I am. So you're probably more Barely. in a position. Yeah, that's, it's really obvious. <laughs> um, but you're in a position more where that would be a temptation. So is that something that you have to discuss, like with your spouse? Um, yeah, I mean, you, for sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I would say within the past few months, I've had... Um, you just have to be careful. That's um, Something might look appealing but you have to consider the impact that it'll have outside of how much money it might pay. It would, you know, it could cost you your schedule. Mm -hmm. And um, there's always going to be a job that pays more and it's going to require more of you. And um, you just, you know, I know some, some good friends that uh, in order to keep a good schedule for the family, there's several promotions that have been passed up just so that everyone can still have time together and do those things. So just considering those things first is, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's and that's encouraging. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's encouraging to know that there are people who are making those right decisions, passing up, you know, the money and the prestige and prioritizing family and, and, and God first. Uh, one of the examples we see in Scripture for this is Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 14. And in this situation, Daniel is, is not chasing a job, but he is in, a, um, in another kingdom, and he is a captive there, but he has a position and it's sort of a career. I guess you put air quotes around Daniel's career. So in verse 8 it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned you your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And we know that in this story that God was with Daniel and he ends up, he and uh, his, his compatriots there, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, 
all ended up looking better uh, than the ones who were, you know, taking the king's dainties, I think some of the versions yeah. say. <laughs> so Daniel wasn't willing to compromise, and there was a lot of risk. And sometimes, and I think this is interesting in Daniel's story here, sometimes you're not just getting, you're not just risking or sacrificing yourself. You may be risking for other people as well, right? Like in this story. Mm-hmm. I think an interesting thing that we see here, too, is like, if you think, how can I apply this to my life? He could have just said no, and he probably would have been either forced to eat it or killed had he not come up with some other solution. So in this, not only does he say no, he says no in a roundabout way. He says, well, let me show you, uh, you know, give me a, a trial period, and if, you know, after that, we'll see we'll see what things look like. So... um when I guess what I'm trying to say is when people challenge our <clears throat> convictions, when people challenge our convictions, show them that your conviction makes you a better worker and does those different things and uh, give them proof of that. Yeah, good. So that's the end. Now we move on in the acronym. We go to integrity, the I. And the question I guess we should ask is, does your integrity speak for itself? And I, I Whenever this subject comes up, I always think about the qualifications for a bishop or an elder or shepherd or whatever uh, your congregation calls it, that he must be blameless. And what does that mean? Does that, what does it mean to be blameless? Well, the first qualification given in the different passages is above reproach, which I think of as blameless. So mm-hmm. someone who has a good reputation among the believers yeah, That's the way and, I think of it. Yeah, and it doesn't mean perfection. It just oh. means a good reputation. And I've often heard it um, described like if someone had an accusation against that person of wrongdoing, you'd have a hard time believing it because mm-hmm. his reputation, that's not consistent with his reputation. Mm-hmm. So the biblical example there is, again, in, in the book of Daniel in chapter 6, in verses 1 through 5, said it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom the sat- these satraps should, be give- should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps, because of an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground to complaint for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error was found in him. And these men said, we should not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So in this uh, story, again, Daniel's a little bit different than us because he has the spirit of the Lord with him. But John how do you understand from the scripture Daniel's reputation? Uh, blameless, like we just talked about. They can't find anything wrong with him to put the nail in. Do you think Daniel was perfect? No, 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 he couldn't be. Um, but he seemed like he, he we, we see the highlights of his life, and he had some pretty good highlights. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. His reputation is good enough that he is, if there is blame to be found with him, they can't find it. And they were certainly motivated to try. So integrity, that's the I. And so we move on to the C. 
uh, compassionate in relationships. To me, this one is is interesting because when you come here, if if you consider yourself and and your work ethic to be very important and important to God, you might be tempted then to get out of balance and just focus so much on your work that you ignore the people around you. This is the one I have a lot of problems with because of what you just said. So go ahead. So I have an example, and it's it's I can't even call it a pop culture reference because it's so old. <laughs> but in 1992, and some listeners weren't born then, but in 1992, uh, there was a movie called Medicine Man with Sean Connery and Lorraine Bracco. It was one of my father's favorites uh, before he passed. So we watched it many times. In the movie, uh, the character of Sean Connery's character is named Dr. Robert Campbell, and he kind of accidentally discovers a cure for cancer while he's doing some other research in the Amazon. But he can't figure out how to replicate it, so that's like the, that's the tension in the movies. He can't figure out how to, how to do it again. So he has this very limited supply, and a child comes down with cancer, and he knows it's cancer. So he's left with the choice to either cure the child or to keep what's left of that serum and continue to test it and try to find a way to replicate it. In the movie, he chooses to, to heal the child. Uh, and he used that, so that's the example. He chose compassion over his career and really over in the movie. He said, I found the cure for the plague of the 20th century and I've lost it. And he gives up his only chance to rediscover it to save the boy. And that's obviously a very dramatic and hyperbolic sort of scenario. But um, we are surrounded by people all the time who need friendship, who need a relationship, Mm -hmm. who need care, mercy, compassion. And if we put our nose to the grindstone, sometimes we'll miss that. And we may have missed the better part. What do you... uh, so you said that you struggle with that a little bit. I'm and stepping I, on my toes, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> why is that so difficult for you? Um, I think a lot of it is work ethic. Um, I try to be as productive as, as I can, and usually that means getting in the zone and working as hard as I can and then uh, trying to make time for pop-up conversations that happen when people who have questions is a little tough when it happens Mm -hmm. you you know for the first once or twice i'm okay but when they come back with the 10th question then it starts to get Mm -hmm. a little tough derailing concentration is a real thing so i understand that it can be frustrating when you when you're really trying to solve a problem at work which you solve problems at work so do i um and you're in that like you say you're in that zone you're concentrating super hard and then someone comes and interrupts you it may only be for 15 seconds, mm-hmm. but that's enough. Then now mm-hmm. I'm off, and I've got, to, I've got to find a way to get back on. Um, so I, I can appreciate that. I look at this example in Matthew chapter 14 of, of Jesus in verses 13 through 21. It says, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They did not. They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. 
And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. And what we might miss when we read this story is the very beginning of it, because it says, Jesus heard this, withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Now, I'm not trying to be flippant or about it when I say he needed some me time, but Jesus needed time alone. His time alone was usually spent in prayer with the Father. But that was a very necessary thing for him, and he was willing to give it up. And why was he willing to give it up? Because he had compassion. Yeah, and if anyone deserved a break, it was yeah. Jesus. Uh, but he was willing, like you said, to, to, again, err on the side of compassion. Not err. To move to the side of compassion and take care of the, the crowd there. And what was beautiful about this is he didn't have to. Uh, the disciples, their reaction is a pretty good one. Like, just send them away to the villages. Let them buy something to eat. They could have done that. That's a reasonable thing, a reasonable suggestion. And Jesus, instead of moved enough by his compassion, he said, no, we'll feed them. And so we did. So the E in the NICER acronym is excellence. Do Christians have to be excellent at what they do? And I think the answer is yes and no. Um, I don't think God demands that we're the most skilled at everything that we do. Um, that'd be great, you know, if we were just, yeah. you know, just because you're a Christian, you were amazing at your job or, or what have you. But it's our effort that I think that has to be unscrutable. Um, John, if you don't mind, do you want to read Colossians yeah, chapter right. 3? And I want to take a look at a couple of verses there that have jumped out to me about this. Um, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Such an important idea that, you know, it doesn't matter how many bosses you have, who's your boss? It's really Jesus. And when you wear the name Christian, you're an ambassador for Christ, then he is your boss in a sense. And so that's very, you said that other passage stepped on your toes. This one steps on mine. Um, you know, sometimes you can be frustrated with the people that you work for. And you, the temptation is then that you start mailing it in a little bit. You don't give the effort that you used to give because you don't always see results from it. Mm-hmm. And what this passage tells me is you continue to put in maximum effort, regardless of whether or not you get all the results that you want. That it's difficult for me to have that, that level of perseverance. Well, that's what drives my work ethic to me, is that Christ is my boss. <laughs> you say it that way. And I, I'm going to do everything I can to please him. See, that drives your work ethic, and it, yeah. <laughs> it challenges my work ethic. Yeah. Um, that's very interesting that we're both kind of affected by that. And you're, you're doing better with it right now than I am. So mm. I, I envy you that for that. And, you know, within this passage in Colossians 3, this is written about bond servants. These people are you know, not slaves in the American history sense, but they are enslaved. So, um, again, regardless of how bad your boss is, how poor your benefit package is, whatever you're underpaid, um, 
you still have to work hard. Yeah. So our last uh, letter in the acronym is R, that's relationship with others. I think the key here is to see the bigger picture. Um, we are to reflect the love of Christ in everything that we do. And we're not going to read this, but I encourage our listeners to read it, uh, is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan didn't have any reason, especially in no business reason, to be concerned for that the man that was beaten, that was robbed. But he instead prioritized his relationship to a complete stranger over his own wealth, over his own time. And even as he had to go off and care to see to his business when he came back, he still made sure that the man was okay. So again, here we see this is similar to compassionate in relationships, but it is making sure that we have relationships with others. And I like that this sort of, the story of the Good Samaritan broadens what that means. So that wraps up the acronym. So being nicer, being, um, again, there's no compromises. You have integrity. You have compassionate relationships. You have excellence, and you have relationships with others. It's a good start uh, to being Christ-like at work, and that's not exhaustive. There's a whole lot more we could say. This, it's, a, it's a really big challenge, I think, across the board. Because we've talked about some things that we're good at and some things we're not good at, and um, like the the C and the R are probably ones that I struggle with because I <clears throat> because I am almost I don't want to say too hard on myself, but I forget sometimes when I'm in the zone that there's other people that I need to try and if I can say network with mm-hmm. and work with to point to Christ. So my point is that this is all a really good challenge, I think. I agree. And I guess in closing, I'll say this. You're not an engineer, an accountant, a store clerk, a Chick-fil-A employee, um, and then a Christian. You're a Christian who works as an accountant, as an engineer, as a store clerk, as a Chick-fil-A, as a whatever. Um, It's the old thing that our parents told us when we were leaving. Remember who you are, even in the workplace. Thank you for joining us where there is hope. It is our goal to share the hope and joy that we find in scriptures with you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can email us at wtihope at gmail.com. Lamentations 3.24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him.